Greetings and welcome to Exponential. I'd like to welcome you here. My name is Pastor Dustin White. I'd also like to send a warm welcome to those of you joining us online. And we'd like to encourage you to feel free to uh, interact today with us and uh, put a comment in the chat box as we go through. So this is a uh, continuation of the series, Encountering Jesus. And today we're going to look at a passage in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And in this passage today, we encounter the, the, a person that is known as the rich young ruler. And I think there's a lot that we can learn about from this, this encounter, from this passage this encounter that Jesus has with this, this man. And so today's question that we're really going to look at and focus on that this passage deals with is, how hard is it to gain access into the kingdom of God? The, and, and how does somebody obtain salvation? How does somebody receive eternal life? How does somebody gain access to the kingdom? And so today I'm going to be talking about eternal life, and I'm going to be talking about the kingdom, and I'm going to use them in a way that's sort of synonymous, because to be in the kingdom of God is also the same as we're, we're having eternal life. And, and I think there's, there's some, that's, I mean, this is, this is like the most important question that, that I can ask is, is, how do I have eternal life? Do I have eternal life? What is, what is the way to eternal life? There's many that, that seek after other things and ask other questions and and are not asking that question, uh, seeking other things in life, when the most, most important question that anybody can ask is, is how do I have eternal life? And, and this individual today in this passage that we're going to be reading is somebody who, he asked that question. He asked the right question. And so as we go through this passage I want to look at three main things, and first off is what, how difficult is it to, to uh, inherit the kingdom of God? How, how difficult is that? And so what might be the barriers that is keeping me from the kingdom of God? How do I, then second of all, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And third of all, what does it look like to have that access to eternal life, to be a follower of Jesus? What, what does that look like, and, and what comes with that? So let's, let's read this passage together. As I said, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, if you'd like to follow along. We're going to be beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions, and then the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So as Jesus encounters this, this rich young man here, I just want to going to give a little background of about who this, this man is. This, this is a, an account that we see in, in the Gospel of Mark, but we also see it in the other two synoptic Gospels. We see it in Matthew chapter 19. We also see him in Luke chapter 18. And he's most commonly known as the rich young ruler. And actually in this passage, we just see that he is known as uh, this, this man, and it's implied that he's rich. Actually in verse 22, it, it kind of gives that information, but that he's rich. But in Luke 18, it reveals that he is a ruler, and then in Matthew 19, it reveals that he's young, and so you put it all together, you have rich, young ruler. And so what this means is, I'm not exactly sure, but it could mean that he was some sort of a magistrate or some sort of a synagogue ruler. But this is a, an individual who had, basically, he, he would be seen as somebody who would be first in, in, in life. He would, he would be somebody that would be seen as as number one in standing with people and in society, and somebody who was number one in, as far as religious, religion, because of, we're going to see here in a little bit, how he carried out his religious life. And so now this, this man encounters Jesus. He, he's somebody who, yeah, he's doing the right thing. He, he goes to the, to the right person, Jesus. He, he asks the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He approaches Jesus in an appropriate way. He runs up to him and he falls on his knees. So this is somebody who's seen as a, as a prime candidate for somebody who to follow Jesus. Religious man. He's young. He, he has wealth. It would be a great addition to the ministry, to support the ministry. And so this, this man comes up to Jesus and approaches him the right way. And first off, he says, good teacher. He addresses him that way. I don't think he realizes the implications of what he's saying there. Probably something more along the lines of, from one good sir to another, something like that, right? He, he sees himself as a, as a good, upstanding man, and so he comes to the rabbi, Jesus, and he's like, hello, good sir, good teacher. And this is something that, it's kind of ironic. He doesn't actually realize what he's saying. Because Jesus responds, why do you call me good. No, no one is good except God alone. A lot of people look at this passage and say, oh, well, right here, Jesus is, de he's denying his divinity. See, he's, he's admitting that he's not God. That's not what he's doing. 
It's as if Jesus is saying, do you understand? Do you really understand the implications of what you're saying? Because first off, no mere man can be good. Second of all, without you realizing it, actually by you calling me good, that's the right thing because Jesus is in fact God and only God alone is good. So Jesus not denying his divinity, but I think it's lost on this man what he's saying, what he's actually doing, but he, he approaches Jesus asking this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question that matters over any other question that we can ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This man is looking to, to see if he can confirm if something is missing in his life. Maybe he actually has followed the law perfectly and he's feeling, well, something's maybe missing. Maybe there's one thing that I can do yet or there's something I'm missing I don't know about and surely Jesus will know what that is and I, and I can do that. You know, this is, you have to keep in mind, this was a man who was able to achieve and to, to be able to, to buy. He had lots of wealth and so basically when, what, what comes with, with wealth is a lot of times you have the power and the ability to uh, do things, to achieve things, to go places, to do things that, that are not otherwise possible if someone is not wealthy. And so this man is looking to see is there something I can do? And then Jesus gives him the commandments. He says, you know the commandments. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Jesus puts that one in there perhaps to, to remind him, you know, in your business dealings, not to, to cheat people, and honor your father and mother. And look at this man's response. He, he says, Teacher, I, I've done these things since I was a, a boy. So he's exclaiming that in, in, tri, in triumph. I've, I've done those things. Surely then I can be in, right? Look at what Jesus responds now. Here's where we, cut, we start to see the, the implications, the, the, the consequences of this, of this encounter. We see that Jesus responds. He says that, that there's one thing you lack. One thing you lack, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. That's what Jesus tells the man to do. The next verse, verse 22, is probably one of the most haunting verses, uh, a verse that makes me think, makes me reflect thinking about how I respond to, to what Jesus calls me to do. This man, though, he, he, it says that his face fell and that he went away sad because he had great wealth. He was not willing to give that up to follow Jesus. And so the first thing that that tells us today is that because this man thought that he could buy or achieve entrance into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is actually laying it bare here and showing that eternal life cannot be bought or achieved. Cannot be bought or achieved. See, Jesus is revealing this man's heart right here. This man thought that he perfectly followed the law. But Jesus actually reveals this man's heart to show that he has, in fact, not perfectly kept the law because he has not perfectly loved God and he has not perfectly loved others because he's not willing to give up his wealth for the poor and he's not willing to follow God with his whole heart. See, there's actually none of us that can buy or achieve it. 
you know, God has this standard that we're required to meet. You know, 1 Peter uh, 1, 15 and 16 says, But just as he who called you holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There's this, this standard that we're all required, required to meet. And it's, and it's rooted, it's grounded in the nature of God. It's not arbitrary. It's not something that God just thought up one day, well, I'll make this thing to be a command that's good, and then this command, don't do this because that's, that's or you know, do something in the positive or negative. He didn't just come up with that. It's, it's, it's rooted, it's grounded in the nature of who God is. God is holy, which means he, he's set apart. He's, he's perfect. He's pure. And, and so sin cannot exist in his presence. And God can, not, I mean, he's not willing that anyone should perish, but also as a just God, he's not, he can't just allow people to come in because then he wouldn't be a just God. And so he demands this level of perfection that nobody can achieve, nobody can buy. And it's all, it's all summed up in this. If you look at the laws, if you look at the, at the commandments, it's summed up in, in, in basically two things, love God and love others. All the commandments hang on those things. All the prophets hang on those things. Deuteronomy 6, 5, you know, says that, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Leviticus 18 says something along the lines of, Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. We see this in Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Jesus says this here. Jesus says, which is the, he's asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so that's the standard. That's, that's where we're at. That, that's, what, that's what we have to meet. And so if I think back in my life, I think, have I done that? Have, have I always perfectly loved God? Have I always put him first? Have I always made him a priority in my life? Or have I always, in every instance of my life, perfectly love other people? Any honest person would say to themselves, no, I have not done that. There's definitely, definitely areas where we fall short. And so by falling short, we're never able to achieve that because God is by nature, he's also, in, in addition to being holy, he's also infinite. And so the sin that we commit is a sin against an infinite being. And so no amount of good works, no amount of good deeds, no amount of purchasing, doing, whatever, none of it can ever pay off the debt of sin that we have against an infinite being who is God. We all fall short. And Romans chapter 3 speaks on this in verse 10 and 12. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's giving ahead to verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We all fall short. The only thing that we can do is respond to the good work that Christ has already done. After Jesus had fed the 5,000, we read in John chapter 6, 
he went on to the other side of the lake and the people were looking for him. And Jesus said to them, you're only looking for me because you had your food and had your fill. He said, but do not work for food that spoils, but work for food that will endure to eternal life. And the people responded, they asked Jesus, what are the works that we must do? And this is in John uh, chapter 6, 28 and 29. They asked him, what must we do to inherit, or what must we do to do the works that God requires? Sorry. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In other words, there is no work that we can do. We have to believe in, to trust in the work that Jesus has done, that he has accomplished on our behalf for our salvation. Eternal life cannot be bought. It cannot be purchased. I just want to focus in a little bit here on, on verse 22 again, because this is a, a, a haunting verse where Jesus had told the man, one thing you lack to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And, and this man's response to it, this is the haunting part. The fact that this man actually did all the right things. He went to the right person. He asked the right question. And yet when it actually came to it, he was not willing to surrender his life to Jesus. He was not willing to surrender so that he would have eternal life, so that he would have entrance into the kingdom. It was seen that this man actually desired it. He, he actually wanted it, but not enough. And this is not a happy ending. This is, this is a sad ending, the fact that he goes away sad because he had great wealth. Tells me he, he wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to follow him. He just didn't want to follow him enough. Because Jesus here puts the finger in this encounter with this man, the rich young ruler and Jesus, and, and Jesus is putting his finger right on that spot in that man's heart, on that one area, that one thing, that that man is not willing to give up. That one thing that is keeping him from fully giving his heart completely over to Jesus and an all-in response to follow him, to be his disciple. Jesus lays it all bare. That's what happens when you encounter Jesus. He, he lays it all bare. He shows what's in our hearts. It's all revealed. There's, there's, you mean we can fool other people? We can, we can uh, look religious? But Jesus shows, what, what is the intent in my heart? What, what is actually going in my heart? Our hearts in our sin nature are, are always bent towards other things besides God. And those other things that our hearts are bent towards can serve as barriers for us to, to being able to give our hearts over to Jesus. This, this man in this encounter, the rich young ruler, is a classic example uh, of somebody who would be from the, in the parable of the sowers, he would be a classic example of the wheat or the seed sown among the, the, the thorns. Because in, in that parable, Jesus talks about the seed that's sown along the path and it's quickly taken away as the devil takes away the word quickly. And the seed that's sown along the, the rocky soil, which is very shallow soil, so it grows up and doesn't have a good root, so it, it withers and dies. And then he says in, in, Matt, in Mark... Uh, Chapter 4, 18, 19, he says, Still others like seed are like seeds sown among the thorns. Hear the word, but the worries of the life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's what can happen if we allow worries of this world, but also 
pleasures, the, the good things in life, wealth, prosperity, if we al- allow those things, that, that, can, that can keep our hearts from being fully given over to, to Christ. And faith in Jesus, faith in Christ, it, it's, it's something that's more. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all-in response. Eternal life is something that comes after we have an all-in response with Jesus. You know, faith can be faked. It, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, it's not just a, a, an intellectual assent. It's not just a, a saying, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yes, I agree with that. I, I agree with what the Bible says. Intellectual assent is not, it, it's deeper than that because a, a faith like that, that's what's called a devil faith. Even the devil, even the demons believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. Even they believe that he died and rose again, but they don't put their trust in Jesus. There's a difference between believing that Jesus and believing in Jesus. And believing in Jesus comes with, through the power of God in us, a transformation that brings about an all-in response to Jesus and the gospel. So the question to ask ourselves is, what might be blocking me from entering the kingdom of, of heaven? What might be blocking me from eternal life? It, it may be riches. And some might say, well, I'm not a really rich person, so I can't really identify with this passage. Well, for this individual, the, the rich young ruler here, that's for him. That's what it was. It was his wealth. It was his riches. Being rich is not in and of itself bad. It's not like the money, that money is the root of all evil. It actually says the money is the root of all kinds of evil. It can be. Money is actually, it's, it's like a lot of things, are, it's a neutral thing. It could be used for good, and it could be used for evil. And so maybe, for me, it's, it's not wealth. Maybe it's something else in my life that I hold on to, that one thing that I'm not willing to let go for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. Uh, so maybe if it's not wealth, maybe for me it's, it's desiring to be wealthy. It's desiring to be rich. Maybe it's, it's possessions, relationships, or maybe unwilling to give up that sin in my life that is keeping me from really truly following Jesus. So this is all kind of heavy stuff. It, it, it puts us in a situation where it's, you know, if, if our works can't get us into heaven, and if our hearts are naturally bent towards evil and bent towards things other than God, then the question is, then, then who can enter the kingdom of, of God? Who then can have eternal life? Well, let's read on here. As we move on to the next, the next verse, uh, verse 23, we see after the man goes away that Jesus now has this opportunity to, based on the encounter with the rich young ruler, to, to have a teaching moment here with his disciples. He uses the illustration of this encounter with that he just had with the rich young ruler to, to now teach his disciples about what just transpired And what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is he's showing them how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for somebody to have eternal life. The fact that worldly comfort can make us, it can make it difficult to respond to the good news. And so Jesus tells them that. He says how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, verse 23. 
Verse 24, the disciples says, they're amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so I want to stop here a second and just imagine this, this idea of a camel going through the eye of a needle. About, it's been about 10 years ago now that I was in Turkey doing some New Testament studies over there, kind of a course where we traveled around and uh, did, like, visited the sites of Paul's missionary journeys. And while over there, of course, we saw some camels. And, and they're, quite, they're quite large animal. They're very big. And uh, when I was over there, I only saw the adult versions of them. I hadn't seen any, any uh, you know, adolescents or, or babies. But just back in the fall, my wife and my daughter and I, we went to a festival where they actually had a camel that was a baby. I, th- I believe it was only like a few weeks old. And I was amazed when, I, when they told me how, how young it actually was. I, I was like, I didn't realize that they were that big even from birth. They're a large animal. They're a very large animal. And so if any of you have ever seen one up close, you know what I'm talking about. But now imagine a needle. And you know how tiny a needle is. If any of you ever sew, maybe the last time some of us have done that is like home ec class or something like that. But I know for me it was always even hard just to get the piece of thread through the tiny hole in the eye of the needle. And now Jesus is using this imagery to make a point, to illustrate that actually it's easier for that to take place. It's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some people like to look at this passage and say, well, there was a a gate in Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle. And it was a very low gate and and so a camel could go through it but they had to get down on their knees and take the load off first but they could get through so I, I read up on this a little bit and a lot of people most people agree that this gate actually never existed and if it did it would have been well after the time of Jesus because I, I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about at all because in this scenario it's hard for the camel to get through that gate but it's possible That's not the point Jesus is making here. He's making the point, he's showing this absurd idea that a camel cannot go, or that it's, you know, this absurd idea of of a camel going through the eye of a needle. And we all know that that's absurd. That's not possible. And so if you're you're saying that it's easier easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, then essentially what Jesus is saying is that it's impossible. It's impossible for someone to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible for somebody to have eternal life. That's what he's saying. So the disciples are looking at this and saying, well, then who can be saved? Because they would have looked at this rich young ruler as somebody who was first in, in everything, first in wealth, first in, in the class, first in, in, uh, in his, also the way he, his religious life because he, he Followed the law very perfectly, like very well. And, and so they're saying like, okay, so Jesus, okay, so if you're saying that this, this rich young ruler, that he can't enter the kingdom of God, that's impossible for him, then what chance do we have? Because they saw that somebody who had wealth 
and was blessed in life, in their culture, they automatically believed that that wealth was a sign of God's blessing. And so because they were blessed with wealth, they must have been good people. They must have lived an upstanding moral life, and so God must have been blessing them. And so with the sign of that blessing on him, and they're saying he can't get into the kingdom of heaven, and look at our plight, look at our situation in life, we have no chance. And that's what the disciples asked Jesus. Who then can be saved? Or they're asking this to each other. Who then can be saved? And this is Jesus' response. He says, with man, this is impossible. But then I love this in the second part of verse 27, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And so eternal life is impossible for man. But eternal life is only possible through Christ. Only possible through, through Christ. Christ is the one that provided the way through the eye of the needle. And it's called the cross. Jesus said that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the only hope that we have to get through the eye of the needle is through the cross, through Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler can't get through the eye of the needle. I can't get through the eye of the needle. You can't get through the eye of the needle. Only Jesus has thread through the eye of the needle by going through the cross on our behalf to make the way. So that what is impossible for man is now possible through Christ. We can now have access to the kingdom. We can now have eternal life. And so to follow Jesus, what does that mean? What does that look like? What, what comes with that? Well, we see in verse 28 here that Peter quick, is quick to point out. P Peter's always the one to speak up. He's, he's quick to point out. He said, well, we have left everything to follow you. Peter's looking to, to, to justify himself. Well, you know, you're saying to the man that he had to give up everything he owned uh, and follow me. And well, we, we did that, right? But Jesus is actually giving them two things here. He's giving them encouragement. He's also giving them a warning to be careful not to become too complacent, not to become too sure of yourself in this situation. The first is the encouragement. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who, who leaves everything, homes, families, brothers, sisters, fields, to follow me will not fail to receive a hundred times in this life. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, fields. So he's giving them some, an encouragement here. And so what Jesus is saying also, in addition to that, he's saying, in addition to, to the things that you'll receive even in this life, you will also receive, in the age to come, eternal life. And so this tells us that following Jesus comes with great reward. It does. Following Jesus comes with great reward. We'll be blessed through the family that we're adopted into, the family of God, in, in being a part of, of the church and all that comes with that. And in the age to come, eternal life. So following Jesus comes with great reward. But then Jesus gives the warning. But he says also, he tucks it in here in this, in this verse. He says, but also with it, persecutions. Following Jesus also comes with a great cost. 
Following Jesus means I might have to face hardships. I might have to even face persecutions. Maybe it's hard for us as Americans to understand that because many Christians throughout other parts of the world, even now, even today, they face persecution. They face the possibility of imprisonment, even death. And the question is, if, if I'm ever faced with that, 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 that scenario, how would I respond? Would I be willing to lay down my life even for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus? Maybe one day that may happen, but that question is, what is it that maybe I need to give up in my life? That one thing that is, is holding me back from fully giving an all-in response to following Jesus. It, it might cost me job security. It might cost me relationships. It might require me to be less selfish and more selfless. It might require me to repent and turn from my sin. Because we can gain everything in this life and, in fact, be very poor spiritually. We can have everything in this life but actually be poor when it comes to the kingdom of God. Take Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 36, for example. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? We can gain everything in this life. And yet what good is that if I forfeit my soul? Jesus says at the, at the end in verse 31, he said, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So those that, that are first in this life actually are, 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 many will be last in the kingdom of God because of holding on to those things that maybe is valued more dearly than, a, than valued towards a relationship with Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is, is a definitely, it's an upside down kingdom. It's upside down. It's right side up, but it's in the ways of the world, upside down in comparison to the world. I, I like to use this illustration about that. And if you've ever seen those, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean films, I think it's in the third one at World's End, where they go to find Jack Sparrow and they find him in this realm of, of the dead. And, and so they, they go out and sit out onto the, to the ocean in their ship. And they actually realize that the way to get out of the realm of the dead is actually to, to turn the boat over, to rock the boat back and forth. Keep, just keep rocking it until eventually the ship capsizes and they're upside down. But now by actually being upside down in the realm of the dead, now in the real world, in the land of the living, they are right side up. And that's how it is with the kingdom of God. What is right side up in this world is actually upside down in the kingdom, but in fact in the kingdom that is actually right side up. And so what we can take away from this, this passage here today is that it is hard to enter the kingdom of God. We cannot buy it. We cannot achieve it. We cannot earn it. In fact, it's impossible to us. 
The good news, though, is that it is possible with God because all things are possible with God. But the only thing is that our hearts, is, if there, our hearts are unable to make the all-in commitment to following Jesus, we need to come turn to Jesus in faith and repentance and a response to the gospel, response to the good news. Because only God can enable us to respond to the good news. But we have to have the ability, we have the ability to either, we have the ability to either choose to respond or to reject it. So the question is, how much am I willing to give up? What might I need to give up? It might cost me job security. It might cost me relationships. It might cost me a number of things. But you can gain everything and be rich and, in fact, be very poor. And so following Jesus is possible only through Christ. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It's paid for by Jesus on the cross. Jesus, as the perfect penalty, paid the perfect, he paid the perfect, he was, sorry, the perfect, he was the perfect sacrifice for the penalty on our cross. All that we can do is humble ourselves before him, lay it all before him, lay everything aside, and believe in him and trust in him that his atonement, his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for us. To follow Jesus, it's only possible in the power of God. We have to just submit our lives to him, give it over to him. The question is, will you respond to that call today? Will you follow him with your whole heart? Will you give your life over to him? The road, yes, it may be difficult, but it's worth it. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you and just we just stand in awe in your presence today. We, we thank you that you have made the way for us. We know that we cannot earn it. We know that it is impossible. There is nothing. We, we can't buy it. We can't achieve it. We know that it's impossible on our own power to gain entrance to eternal life into your kingdom. But we know that through Christ, you have made the way. You have gone through the eye of the needle. You have made the way through the cross that if we believe and trust in you, that we will be saved. So I pray, Lord, that if there's anything in our hearts that is keeping us from fully giving ourselves over to you, to giving an all-in response to you, to follow you with our hearts, with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, I pray, Lord, that you would convict us through your Holy Spirit and allow us to cast aside those things that are, are standing in the way for us having a full and wonderful relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.